Welcome to the Heavy Duty Parts Report. This podcast is presented by the Heavy Duty Consulting Corporation and hosted by our CEO, Jamie Irvin. At the Heavy Duty Consulting Corporation, we work with manufacturers, distributors, and repair shops who want to grow their business. Do you have a problem that you would like some help with? We have developed fault codes for heavy duty parts businesses, just like they have for commercial trucks. Find out how many fault codes your business has and how you stack up against dozens of other heavy-duty parts businesses. Head to heavydutyconsulting.com and schedule a meeting with us today. All right, let's start this episode. You're listening to the Heavy-Duty Parts Report. I'm your host, Jamie Irvin, and this is the show where you get expert advice about the heavy-duty parts you buy and sell and keep you informed about what's happening in the industry. The idea of selling products online is nothing new. Jeff Bezos and Amazon started in the late 90s. Since then, the world has been rapidly transforming all around us in more ways than most people realize. The trucking industry has not been excluded from that, but we are extremely late adopting when it comes to things like e-commerce. But that really is changing. We're seeing that right now in 2020, things are changing rapidly. I think it's driven not just by the availability of technology, but really the way people want to buy things has fundamentally begun to shift even in the late adopting trucking industry. And that means that the way that manufacturers and distributors do business is going to have to change as well. To help us learn exactly what we need to know, I'd like to introduce you to Chris Harrington, Now, Chris is the president of Gen Alpha, an e-commerce software company that works with manufacturers. Chris, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Jamie. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm excited. I think the the topic is really timely. So why has the trucking industry been so slow to adopt e-commerce? Well, I think in fairness to the trucking industry, all of manufacturing and the B2B space have been slow to adopt e-commerce. So it's not just the trucking industry challenge. Um, I can think of a few reasons why adoption has been slow. First, manufacturers in the trucking industry are significantly tied to distribution or dealer networks to sell their products. You know, we call this in our world, the dealer dilemma. It's often referred to as channel conflict, but manufacturers have struggled to manage this business change with dealers in the middle. So that's one. The second is I think manufacturers think they had more time. You know, if we look at the digital natives, which are really the millennials and the Gen Z generation, they are projected to be 70 plus percent of the workforce by 2025. So five years from now. And the youngest baby boomers will be retiring by 2029 is retirement age for them. So these groups are largely affecting digital adoption in general, right? The millennials, Gen Z, they're adopting fast. The baby boomers are adopting much slower. So I think manufacturers thought that they had some more time to figure this out. And then finally, I think that when leaders look around their organizations, they realize that they don't have the skill set that they need to really exercise the digital transformation that's in front of them. 
these organizations have forever operated in one way, and they didn't really have leaders who had to think about how you put your products online and sold them online. There's a little bit of marketing expertise that comes into play. There's a little bit of IT support that comes into play. So, you know, they look around the organization and nobody really wants to stick their neck out to say, I'm going to lead this thing. So I think that's been another part of the challenge. And we've seen the rollout of a lot of different e-commerce sites in the last several weeks. But to me, there's no way that that was a direct response to COVID. It might have bumped up their timeline. But in order for them to actually roll it out now, they would have had to have been working on it for quite some time, probably before COVID started. So I can't see that COVID is the only thing that is kind of driving all of these e-commerce sites going live right now. Right. Yeah. In fact, I've been in this business for seven years. I've met with hundreds of manufacturing companies and they have all in the seven years known that this is going to ease doing business with them, but they haven't pulled the trigger. So I think for many years, people have said, yes, we need to do this. But as they look across their organization, and there's a lot of technology projects that are going to bring a positive ROI to the business. I think this one just kept getting skipped over. And, and again, it's, it's based on that experience level. And you know, specifically when we get into parts, parts can sometimes be an afterthought. They're so much into thinking about the original equipment and improving efficiencies there and getting their installed base out in the field that sometimes aftermarket can be that afterthought, even though people know how important it is to the business. But it doesn't get the same level of investment as other areas. So I think, yes, you're right. For a long time, companies have known they need to do something. They have been starting to put things into action. And for those that have been recently coming online, there was definitely a plan in place. COVID has accelerated things. There's no question. But for those that have just accomplished new sites, COVID might have just said, oh, so glad we did this. That that might be the reality. Now, when I look at an e-commerce solution, I know from 22 years of selling parts, it's more than just trying to recreate the offline retail feel online. So what problems are parts distribution companies facing when they try to switch over to an e-commerce platform? Yeah, I think the biggest problem, and I mentioned this already, but I think it's important to bring up again, is getting past the dealer dilemma or that channel conflict. So that's a reality. That's something that every business has to work with. Once you've decided, you know, together with the dealers or uh, even as an OEM group that you're moving forward or distribution in general has decided they're going to do something, data becomes a significant challenge. If you think about items, images, videos, uh, drawings, all of the parts, attributes, all of the things that really make up that searchability of an e-commerce site, those are often in disparate locations throughout a company. So they might have some pieces of that. You know, when we work with manufacturing companies, they typically have an ERP system. So things like item description, price and availability, part numbers, vendor cross-reference, those can often easily come from the ERP. But where the work really comes into place is making the description consumable for a customer, right? Because that 
technical description that an engineer might have wrote that has a lot of abbreviations wouldn't be applicable for a user who's searching online. So you've got to convert those engineering descriptions into a commercial description that's easily consumable. Breaking your parts into attributes that make it easy for that part to be searched. Doing all the cross-reference work to vendor part number, alternative part number, competitor cross-reference part number, those are, that's all the work that really makes up the bulk of the challenge that they have to overcome. And that's usually right where we start with most companies. Right. Because from the customer's point of view, I mean, 50% of parts are still bought with the phone call. And so if you're going to phone the store, the reason you're phoning the store is because you're relying on them to provide you with the right part the first time. And if you switch over to e-commerce, now you're putting the power in the hands of the customer. But, you know, there's that issue of, am I getting the right part? Yeah. I mean, you, you nailed it. So if I no longer have a support person in there and I now am searching and search is the number one thing that's used in most B2B websites, it's, you know, it's prominent on every web store and searching by the thing that you know. So, you know, if I have an asset that's down and let's say it's an Allison transmission, I might know it's an Allison transmission, but I'm going back to the OEM's website to find the actual parts that I need for my complete asset. I know the unit, I might have a serial number or VIN number. So I want to get into that unit. I want to get into the bill of material. I want to validate that I'm looking at the right information because I can take a part off of the unit that I need and maybe there's something stamped on there. That might be the only thing I, I use to search. And I don't know if that stamp is an Allison stamp, if, it, if it's the OEM who built the entire unit stamp, who, whose number is that? So they're only going to search by what they know. Sometimes it's a stamp on the product. Sometimes it's the serial number or VIN. They have to be able to search by the thing that they know. You're listening to the Heavy Duty Parts Report. I'm your host, Jamie Irvin, and we've been speaking with Chris Harrington, president of Gen Alpha. We're talking about e-commerce solutions. Now, what we were just talking about is the importance of the user experience, being able to find the part that you need using an e-commerce site. And really, if it's not more efficient and faster to do on an e-commerce platform than good old phoning down to the local parts store, people aren't going to use it. So, Chris, I'm going to throw a statement out there. And I'd like to get your opinion on it. So this is my very, very strong feeling on this matter. The heavy-duty parts company that figures out how to empower repair technicians to identify the parts they need and purchase the parts with a one-click mobile app and have those parts delivered within two hours in urban centers and next day in rural area is going to win the e-commerce battle for heavy-duty parts. What do you think about that? I think it is a true statement that the future of technical support is digital and will be accomplished from a handheld device. You know, I think repair technicians will expect to be standing alongside the unit that needs support and they want to have the ability to search by the exact model serial VIN. They want to pull up a bill of material for that unit, identify the parts that are needed, check availability and add to cart and purchase all from the palm of their hand. For sure, I believe that to be true. And fulfillment is playing a critical role. It played a critical role during COVID. And really, Amazon fulfillment is driving a lot of this change in expectation because many of us are Amazon Prime members. We get our things very quickly. 
when it, when we need them. But when it comes to heavy duty truck parts, time costs money and product downtime costs money. So I believe customers will demand an online solution. And as we have always said in the parts arena, product availability sells. Inventory is often more important than price. So if you have product readily available on the shelf that can deliver to your market in less than 24 hours, it will be difficult for customers not to come back to you time and time again. Yeah, I definitely see that because all the years I spent as a salesperson selling parts, one of the things that I often ended up having to do was when our parts department was unable to get the part to the customer within a time frame that was acceptable, I spent a lot of my time running parts. And you know, why are you paying your your highest salaried and usually with commission and everything your you know, your highest dollar value employee at at a local store? Why are you paying them to run parts? Because the customer who buys a half a million dollars in parts from you every year needs that part in an hour or two because that truck needs to get out of his shop so the next truck can roll in. And that whole process is so, so critical. So if the e-commerce solution, doesn't matter how good the technical data is, if you can't get the part in a timely fashion, it's going to fall apart, especially when you're dealing with independence and vocational fleets. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's why I really thought that your statement had two parts to it. It had the e-commerce part, and then it definitely has that fulfillment part. And both of them, you know, many people will say, I I want an e-commerce site and I want it like Amazon. We're absolutely ready to please, right? You know, definitely you should have an e-commerce site that is easy to use and similar in some features to Amazon. But then go and research how much Amazon has spent on fulfillment. And Amazon is just one example. We can talk about Ranger, McMaster Car, all of these leading companies with fantastic e-commerce sites. They have had to find ways to really fulfill the products that are needed as well. So, you know, you can do one piece with technology. The rest is really strategizing around where do your warehouse locations have to be in order to meet the market needs of your business whether it be throughout the United States or globally, whatever your market happens to be. You know, that's a really great point because in the traditional distribution model, when you set up a store, you got to think about foot traffic. You want to think about retail. You want people coming in and buying stuff, you know, owner operators, you want parking for the big rigs so that they can come in, turn around and get back out onto the highway with relative ease. Those are all considerations with choosing a retail store. When you have an e-commerce model, it's completely different. It's warehousing, and it's about where is the location that allows me to deliver the most parts the quickest. I never thought about it that way, but man, that is a huge difference. It is. And, you know, we worked with customers, and I think the best thing of working with a vendor sometimes, at least to even help you with your strategy, is so that they ask you those tough questions because, you know, we all have a dream of being something. And, and of course, we want to be the best for our customers and, and we want to do right by them. But these thoughts on fulfillment, they require a very detailed strategy and decisions. And I do believe even dealers and distribution can play a big role in that as well in, in fulfilling the needs of, you know, it's not just foot traffic anymore. It's traffic around the world that is coming to your store, but has to be, has to be delivered to wherever they are located. 
some of that work that's already been completed by having all your distribution network, wherever it might be, can be very valuable to tap into. So I personally think that the traditional distribution model is dead. I think that uh, it just hasn't been called yet. <laughs> there's, there's a little bit of time left where this traditional model will continue to be used, but I really think it's over. I think that by the end of the 2020s, we're going to be working in a completely different industry. What's your feelings on that? Yeah, you know, I'm not ready to call it dead. I, I think that, you know, it's not going to be replaced. It's going to complement. I think e-commerce can complement. I think there's space for both the dealer and the manufacturer. And, and why I say that is I still believe, uh, I'll take myself for an example. You know, I have a, a small acreage here in Wisconsin. I've got a Polaris ATV. I've got a John Deere uh, lawn tractor. I've got a Simplicity tractor. And there are some things that I'm willing to do myself and want to do myself. So like most customers, they're into convenience, right? So what's the most convenient to them? Now, what I know when I want to do an oil change is that I have a Polaris ATV. I know the year it was manufactured in the model. So when I want to go find my oil, oil change kit, I want to go online to Polaris because I'm interested in buying the OEM product and I want to get to my oil change kit. I want to order it, pay for it there and have it come to the house so that I can conveniently do the repair when it's, it's time. Now, there are other things that have happened to my farm equipment that, of course, I don't like to happen, but naturally happens that I don't know how to service. And I enjoy having a distributor nearby that I can count on for that support when I need it. So when there are things that I'm not willing to do or don't have the know-how to do, I still want to know that there's a dealer close by or some facility close by that I can take it to because they're going to they're gonna fix it so that when I need it for my summertime work, it's available. But And, and I think do-it-yourselfers that are coming more and more, they're the ones that really expect. So that common maintenance, the do-it-yourselfers, they want that online, fast, easy. But then there are these other things that distribution still plays a role in. And then additionally, I will say that I also like to touch and feel and ride a thing before I buy it. So I think, again, I'll just use myself in, as an example. If I know I can go to Polaris online and get those things that I need, and I have a dealer to help me when I have things that I can't do, then my service experience was so good that when I replace my ATV, I want another Polaris. And I'm going to go back to that dealer and I'm going to sit on it. I'm going to ask questions and I'm going to ride it around and I'm probably going to buy another one from them. Now, if I couldn't and they made it challenging for me to find the parts and the oil change kit and the things I need, well, then I might start saying, I really didn't like that experience. I'm going to somebody else. So I think this is why I believe dealers and manufacturers have to work this out together. I actually just wrote a white paper on this because I think it's the biggest challenge in manufacturing right now that they just need to overcome. And there are certainly ways to do it without a distribution network, but I think there could be a great benefit to consumers if, if you consider all the ways in which people shop and will buy in the future and then address that. And some are way ahead. Right. And, and I think what you're describing there is when you have a manufacturer of parts selling to a truck dealer, that dealer is offering service. But think about it from the perspective of the companies I work for. 
they weren't involved in service. They just sold parts. Most of their competitors sold the exact same parts. So everything becomes a commodity. That's the part of the traditional distribution model that I personally think is over. Because if you're an aftermarket distributor, you better be getting involved in service or you better be able to offer customers something that they can't just order with one click on a mobile app and have it delivered in a couple hours. If you can't get there, the relevancy of your business model is going to be completely eroded to the point where I just don't see how they can continue. And I think we've got some good evidence when we look at what happened in clothing retail, home appliance retail, you know, Sears, those kinds of companies. We saw what happened in the 2010s and over the last decade or so and how many of them went bankrupt. And some of those companies were massive compared to our largest distributors. Like, for example, Sears in 2005 had $11 billion in assets. They went bankrupt in 2018 with $6.9 billion in assets and $11.3 billion in liabilities. One of the largest aftermarket distributors is Fleet Pride, and I can't see them being much more than valued at more than a billion dollars. So when I look at that, I go, man, that exposes them more, not less, because they have less resources. What do you think about that? Yeah, I agree with you. I, I might have misunderstood the way that you were perceiving it versus the way I was thinking about it, but definitely. No, that's on me because I didn't say it right. No, <laughs> I didn't give you enough detail. <laughs> but no, that was a, I, I mean, your description is right. Everybody has to have value in the value chain. And we know digital is here. It's here. It's going to be advancing more and more. The only thing that I can think of in your example is if they provide a key stakeholder in the delivery of product to a certain area. So that that's the only way, you know, so if an OEM has a website and they're the ones now selling the parts, but there is this distribution center that delivers them, that could be something that they tie in, but then that's really becomes their only value. And I'm not sure who's willing to pay the cost for that. And that's something that has to be thought of. That's exactly it. Because I look back to like, for example, Blockbuster. Can you imagine being the CEO of Blockbuster coming in and saying, okay, board of directors, here's my big plan. We're going to close all 9,000 retail stores. We're going to lay everybody off. And instead of charging $7 per rental, we're going to charge $7 a month for our entire access to our library of content. If you had come in in the early 2000s and said that, you would have gotten probably fired on the spot and escorted out of the building. So from a distribution, if you're solely distributing parts and you're on that retail model, how are you going to convince your company that shutting down all those retail stores, maybe not all of them, but the majority of them, switching to new locations with warehousing and somehow then being able to not be completely treated like a commodity by whoever's got the traffic, that's a tough position to be in. And, and I've worked in that industry for years. And trust me, I had many boardroom meetings where my opinion was not very popular because I was the one saying we need to start thinking about fundamentally changing our business model. And it's just so hard to change once you've invested decades, you know, millions or hundreds of millions of dollars or even billions of dollars in infrastructure to try to undo all of that. That's a tough position to be in. Yep. Like all change management, digital transformation is a significant change and really adapting to that future for, for these types of organizations that really have been built just for that. They've got to seriously think about how they are going to go to market and win in the future and what is their value. Yeah, I think the other story that you described with respect to what Netflix has done, people would have thought you're crazy. So 
you're going to need some crazy ideas now if you're going to want to reinvent those businesses and stay active in the future. I'm going to let you have the last word. My last comment on this is Steve Jobs said that death is a gift because it clears away the old and makes room for the new. And the way that I look at that from a business perspective is that sometimes I think we just have to tear down the old structure and replace it with something new. And I think that's what we're going to see over the next decade or so. It's going to be a difficult time. What would you like to leave our audience, the one thing you want them to remember from today's conversation? Yeah, I think it's tied to what we just talked about. If I were to tell you that your digital sales channel will be your most important sales channel in the future, what would you do differently today, right? What conversations would you have? Who would you reach out to? What changes would you make to your current strategy? What would you do to your budgeting process to make sure you had the right investment in the right areas? Because digital is coming, it's here. And if you want to be relevant in the future, you're going to have to have a digital strategy. So, um, and we talked about this with COVID, adoption of e-commerce has accelerated and buyer preferences are changing. They're changing fast. Uh, Their expectations are changing fast because we've had to, we've been forced as users to do things differently. Even the baby boomers, they're even on Zoom and doing other things that you wouldn't have expected that they would be doing. So people are adopting faster than we think. So I would say too that the level of analytics that you get with an e-commerce platform really changes the way you do business as well. To the way you market your products, to the way you can change price and inventory levels because you have new levels of information related to who's searching for your product. So I encourage people to think of this as an opportunity. You know, we used words like death here and and other things because um, transformation is difficult and sometimes you got to use some strong words. But there is a, a strong word and that's opportunity. That's the ability to be here in the future and to be very successful in the future. You know, certainly e commerce can make it easier for customers to do business with you. It can certainly offer you the ability to expand your market share as well. So think about the opportunities related to that and start saying, okay, digital sales channel, that's the future. What do we need to be doing differently today because we know that? You've been listening or perhaps watching the Heavy Duty Parts Report. I'm your host, Jamie Irvin, and today we've been speaking with Christina Harrington, president of Gen Alpha. She likes to be called Chris. To learn more, go to genalpha.com. Seriously, if you're a manufacturer, you need to talk to Gen Alpha. It's time to get your strategy going in this direction, and they can help you in a big way. I've had lots of meetings offline with them and understand where they're coming from. And they really do understand this entire business. Chris, thanks for being on the Heavy Duty Parts Report today. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the Heavy Duty Parts Report. I'm your host, Jamie Irvin. And I just like to remind everyone to focus on cost per mile. And <coughs> let's keep those trucks and trailers rolling. HCA Truck Pride is the heart of the independent parts and service channel. They have 750 parts stores and 450 service centers conveniently located across the U.S. and Canada. Visit heavydutypartsreport.com slash HDA Truck Pride today to find a location near you.
Again, that's heavydutypartsreport.com slash HDATruckPride and let the heart of the Independent Service Channel take care of your commercial equipment.